What's working on purpose anyway? Each week we ponder the answer to this question. People ache for meaning and purpose at work, to contribute their talents passionately and know their lives really matter. They crave being part of an organization that inspires them and helps them grow into realizing their highest potential. Business can be such a force for good in the world, elevating humanity. In our program, we provide guidance and inspiration to help usher in this world we all want, working on purpose. Now, here is your host, Dr. Elise Cortez. Welcome back to the Working on Purpose program. Thanks for tuning in again this week. I'm your host, Dr. Elise Cortez, joining you live from Dallas, which is home base for me. If you don't know me yet, I'm a management consultant specializing in meaning and purpose, organizational logotherapist, inspirational speaker, social scientist, and author. My team and I help companies discover and articulate their purpose and thread it through their culture and operations. We work with forward-thinking or forward-reaching organizations to develop inspirational leaders who create cultures where people actually want to come to work and do their best. We provide programs like the Grab Your Gusto that enable individual team members to discover and unleash their passion and purpose at work to catalyze fulfillment, engagement, and productivity. You can learn more about us and how we can work together at EliseCortez.com. With us today is Kelly McDonald, a professional speaker and expert on diversity in business. She's authored four best-selling books on marketing, the customer experience, and leadership, all from the standpoint of working with people not like you. We'll be talking about her newest book, It's Time to Talk About Race at Work, Every Leader's Guide in Making Progress on Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion. She joins us today from Denver, Colorado. Kelly, welcome to Working on Purpose. Thank you. Hi, Elise. Thanks for having me. Hi, absolutely. I'm thrilled to have you. And thank you, Joanne, for bringing, bringing us together. Magnificent human being that she is. Love um, so I really appreciate the conversation we're going to have today, Kelly, because as I said before we got on air together, you really do address diversity and race from a really fresh vantage point, not from thou should, should or should or anything like that, or active activist or HR speak. It's real and it's just it's frontline stuff. And so I really appreciate the work that you're doing, and, and, and especially as a white person doing this work, right? right? Thank so, you, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So let's start off first by distinguishing a couple of really important terms. You talk about bias and um, prejudice. So if you would distinguish those terms for us. Sure. A lot of people conflate the two words, and they think they're synonymous, and they're actually completely different. Um, bias means preference for. Okay, so um, if like, for example, a lot of my friends have kids and they'll say something like, you know, all the kids on my soccer team, you know, my kids soccer team are just terrific. But forgive me, I'm biased toward my own child. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's a perfect example of using bias in the correct way. It means preference for. So obviously that parent has a preference for their kid. They can't be completely, um, you know, unbiased about their child, but it doesn't mean that they hate the other kids. They're just simply saying, I just, I just like my kid and I'm biased. Prejudice is an action. So bias is in all of us. We actually have all of us, every single one of us have bias. It's not a, um, it's not prejudice. Prejudice is an action and prejudice is learned. Bias is innate in all of us. If you think about it from an anthropological standpoint, bias is probably what kept us safe as primitive peoples. We lived in tribes and communities with people who are probably a lot like us because it kept us safe and it was relevant for human survival. So we all do have biases. And in business, what is important is to understand that we all have those and to work around those. Now, prejudice, I think, has no place anywhere. But what 
I think a lot of people conflate those two things and they say, oh my gosh, if you tell me I'm biased, I'm going to get my, my gloves up and I'm going to get defensive because I'm not biased. And what they really are saying is I'm not prejudiced. So we just need to make that distinction. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Great way to start, Kelly. Okay, so now speaking of you know putting the gloves up, um, we got to talk about your opening chapter, which is just brilliant. It's just right out of the gate. It, it's called it's chapter one. This book is for, it's, and it's called this book is for everyone, but especially white readers, and and it's so important. You know, I and and listen, listen, viewers and listeners, as you go into this conversation with us, be with us, right? So we want to present this material in a really different, fresh way for you. So one of the things that I really want to share and echo with you, Kelly, is that what you really are saying in that chapter is that, you know, even as much as white people uh, really want to be um, inclusive and, and understanding and appreciative, they just really can't understand what it is to be a non-white person in today's right. world. And so you say things like, you know, you, you know, all this talk about articles, books and training on DE&I are great. But if you're white and you listen to someone of another race or background describe their firsthand personal day-to-day experiences, it's eye-opening. And you go on to say, because the terrible things that happen to black, brown, Asian, LGBTQ+, Jewish, Asian, and Muslim, or any minority for that matter, just typically don't happen to whites. And we can't imagine how bad it is or how often it happens. And we can't comprehend the, the chronic tool that it takes on a person. So I wanted to get all that out because I you just can't understand it if you haven't been in those shoes. Right. And that's where I think from a business standpoint, especially white people uh, at work and white executives, they struggle with a little bit because they're kind of like, is this really that big of a deal? Because it doesn't happen to us. So it doesn't seem like that big right. of a deal. And I can tell you that, you know, maybe I've been discriminated against in my life, at least as a woman, but I'm not even sure I have, you know? And so mm-hmm. it just doesn't happen to us. And when you do hear those stories from friends and colleagues and you realize, holy smokes, this is happening everywhere. I have a friend of mine who's Taiwanese and she was telling me that, and, uh, and she lives in Cincinnati and she was telling me that she went out for a run one day and someone threw food at her. Now, no one has ever thrown food at me from a car. Right. Right. You know, it just doesn't happen. It just doesn't happen. And uh, my boxing coach is black and he was telling me, the boxing gym where I work out is um, in a strip shopping center that has like a Joanne Fabrics and an Ace Hardware and stuff. And he was telling me that when he parks his car uh, and gets out or when he's coming out of the gym and walking to his car, he can hear all the door locks in the parking lot clicking with mm-hmm. these little ladies who are, I guess are afraid he's going to carjack them. And, you know, and I push back right. on him. I'm like, really? You're a 48 year old man dressed in gym clothes, carrying a duffel bag, walking out of a gym. And he's, you know, he's pretty ripped, you know? So it's like pretty obvious he's been working out. And he goes, I guess they think I'm a criminal, you know? And I'm mm-hmm. like, oh my gosh, that doesn't happen to me. And it doesn't happen to other guy friends of mine who are white. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the story I want to share, uh, this is this is recent, like within the last, I don't know, let's call it six months, um, a black friend of mine, professional man, um, he was out working in, a, in a, one of the southern states of the United States, out in more of a rural area and at seven o'clock in the morning on a weekday. And um, somebody yelled um, the N word at him and fired a shot in his direction. Fired a shot. Now, the story gets a, a fire, a gunshot with a, uh, with a gun. So uh, he was able to kill him. Yeah, they were going to kill him. He could have lost his life that day. No, there's, wait, it gets, there's more. And uh, so literally he goes through that whole process of, you know, 
filing a complaint with the police and all, this, all the whole thing, the guy actually did go, go to jail. Where it's pertinent to this conversation, your reaction is very, very distinctly different than my friend. I was then running with a dear friend of mine, uh, a white man who um, I've known for years, I have tremendous respect for, I told him the story and his response was, that's unfortunate. <gasps> unfortunate? Unfortunate. unfortunate is when your flight is delayed <laughs> right you know i i was like so that's what we mean by you just don't get it right. if you're white you just don't get this now and here this same friend of mine tells me the, this guy's a big guy he tells me he cries when he gets pulled over by police he cries oh, yeah, no. uh i have a friend uh who's also black and he's like you know he's always saying you know like you know black while driving and he's like if you get pulled over by the police and you're a black especially a black man he said, it's, you know, hands on the wheel. And he said, it's life or it's potentially life or death. Right. Or, or at least a beating. He goes, you're going to go face down on that ground like you wouldn't believe. Yeah. And, and he has actually, yeah, he also has also has been hit in the back of the head and had to have, you know, stitches to, to clean it up. I mean, so this is real, ladies and gentlemen, this is real. This is well, the world. And one more real quick example, a friend of mine is Muslim and she wears a hijab and she said, you know, why do people think it's okay to just try to grab my hijab off of me and yank it off of me? She goes, when you're wearing a Christian cross on your neck, I don't yank it off of you. And I thought, wow, we display, you know, we, I'm not Christian or anything really, but I mean, like Christians display their faith all the time. We, we are very used to that in this country. So why, when someone else displays right. their faith, does that make us feel like we can assault them? I mean, it's right. like. Yeah. It's yeah. such an, this is so, so important, the work that you're doing, Kelly. It's just, I just so, so want to invite more people in the fold, which is why I totally wanted to have you on the, on the show. And this show is listened to by people across the world. Yeah. So, uh, so, 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 so important. So now let's take it even, let's take it on a more granular level here, Kelly. One of the things that we do. From the story, but okay. I, I know I, I, I saw the visceral response. I did. It was incredible. Um, yeah. It makes my, my, my blood pressure go up. Um, so, but you do a beautiful job in your book of really bringing this in uh, to, to, to home for us by helping people understand just what it feels like to be discriminated against like this. And, uh, uh, so I don't know if you want to share the story or if you want me to, to share it, to read it, read it, but talk about that. If you would, you can say, maybe say it and I'll fill more in, you know, what it feels like when you're a kid oh. and you're on the playground and you don't, you don't get picked. Right. Um, you know, I hope that many of your listeners and, and viewers are have not experienced this, but you know, when I was a kid, there were teams on, at recess and people would pick the teams. And, you know, if you were that kid who was last picked, picked last or uh, not picked at all, you know, imagine what um, that feels like to go through that every day because you understand that nobody wants you as a kid. Nobody wants you on the team. They picked you last. And even if they picked you last, in many cases, they picked you because they had to, mm -hmm. right? And that's not acceptance, that's compliance, right? right? So when I think about those organizations where they're going diversity, equity, inclusion, and some manager in there and going is in there going, okay, I guess this is what we're doing now. You know, again, that's not acceptance, that's compliance. Right. And, you know, if you can remember back to being a kid and maybe being that kid, I, I know I was a couple of times where no one wanted me and that feeling of isolation and that feeling of like, why don't they want me? I'm, I'm the same age. We're in the same classroom. Why don't they want me? Right. And how isolating that is and how cruel it is and the scars and the marks that it can leave on you. And then I grew out of that, Elise, because I was a kid. I grew right. out of that. So imagine never growing out of that. Imagine yeah. 
walking in with that every day of your life for the rest of your life, even as a grown up. Mm-hmm. That really brings it home, Kelly. You know that really, and the way you distinguish, you know, the, the, the thing about compliance, et cetera. It's just so so important. And checking the box, you know, we're doing this yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. Um, it, it, you know, so when you talk about this, what we're really getting to here, and this, you do this beautifully here. So when you can stand there and listen to this, now imagine you're talking to somebody. You're somebody sharing this with you. This is for you, listeners and viewers. Uh, so imagine this. Uh, so you're, and if you're really committed to a team that's diverse and, and creating that space for you. And if you're white, it starts with flexing your own empathy muscle, as you say in the book, and thinking about what work must feel like for these people. So I think that that ability to be able to reach across and into someone to understand their space, it, it's, I don't know how, how often it happens, but I got to believe that when it does happen, it's pretty amazing. It is. And I think one of the things that as white people, and I'm just going to go here, Elise, okay? Okay, let's do it. Bring it. All right, I'm just going to go here because that's how I am. I think that one of the things that is really hard for white people, and I'm I'm included in that, and I've worked very hard to, to learn skills in this area, is to not interrupt, downplay, or refute someone else's experiences that are real, that happened, or are happening, or continue to happen, And what I think what happens is we're horrified by the experiences that some people tell us, you know, like when my friend Irene said someone threw food at me when I was out for a run, like, I'm just, I have no words for that. I don't know, you know, what to say or anything like that. And I think sometimes that what we, what we're, our instinct is to, is to not squirm. Like it's making us squirm so much. It's so uncomfortable that we tend to try to either downplay it or refute it and say things like, well, you know, that was a long time ago, at least that kind of thing wouldn't happen anymore, you know, in today's world, or, well, that was a really bad group of people, you know, not everyone's like that. And I think it's a huge mistake to take anyone's experience and refute it Mm -hmm. or downplay it. I think what we have to do is live with the squirm. I think actually when we're squirming, we're getting somewhere. And what our job is to do is listen and maybe even extract more and say, do you want to tell me more about that? You know, and really listen. And that's the empathy muscle is like, I'm so sorry that that happened to you. Do you, do you want to tell me more about that? How did that feel? What did you do? And not shove it aside, try to put it on the table with them and say, let's talk about this. If you want to, that's horrible. You know, I can't even imagine. And it's, it's about acknowledging it. And I think, you know, many of my diverse friends have said, white people are so uncomfortable with this. They just, they just don't even want to acknowledge it. They just want to change the subject. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. and, I, mm-hmm. and I get it. it. It is squirmy because that doesn't happen to us. Right. And, and so it makes us squirm, but I've really come to believe that when we're squirming, we're getting somewhere. Mm-hmm. I understand you in the squirm completely yeah, agree. So, so with that, let's, let's grab our first break. So ladies and gentlemen uh, across the world, squirm while we're on break, please. Uh, I'm your host, Dr. Elise Cortez. We were on there with Kelly McDonald. She's the author of It's Time to Talk About Race at Work. We've been talking a bit about the issue, what's going on with race. What does it feel like to be somebody, someone else, someone different to work with? After the break, we're going to start talking about why all white or mostly white businesses make less money. Stay with us. We'll be right back. 
Dr. Elise Cortez is a management consultant specializing in meaning and purpose. An inspirational speaker and author, she helps companies visioneer for greater purpose among stakeholders and develop purpose-inspired leadership and meaning-infused cultures that elevate fulfillment, performance, and commitment within the workforce. To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at EliseCortez.com. Let's talk about how to get your employees working on purpose. This is Working on Purpose with Dr. Elise Cortez. To reach our program today or open a conversation with Elise, send an email to Elise, A-L-I-S-E, at EliseCortez.com. Now, back to Working on Purpose. Thanks for staying with us and welcome back to the program. Before we get back into the content, I want to invite you to check out my book, Purpose Ignited. I wrote it in November of 2020, or that's when it came out, I should say. And I really wrote it to awaken readers to their passion and their purpose and turn them into inspirational leaders that can actually elevate the experience of, of, of the work of their people and really do business that betters the world. It's on Amazon. You can find it there. I also use that content for my Vitally Inspired programs and the Gusto Grab Your Gusto programs as well. If you're just joining the program now, my guest is Kelly McDonald. She's a professional speaker and expert on diversity in business. She's the author of It's Time to Talk About Race. I'm your host, Dr. Elise Cortez. So this has already been a vibrant, energetic exchange. Um, now let's talk about money, shall we? Let's talk about money. Let's talk about business. It's, uh, it's really quite interesting, and I, I find this really, really fascinating here. And this is where we start getting into the science of this whole thing, too, just beyond the art, if you will. Um, the cost of bias you talk about and you say you talk about why all white or mostly white businesses make less money can you say more about that that's fascinating sure. i mean it's it's actually even more profound when a business is successful so what happens is when everybody is largely the same so i'll just use whiteness like you said i mean but it could be generational different you know it could be different mm -hmm. generations or the same generation except when everybody kind of comes from the same place then they largely will tend to have the same views. There isn't anybody there to offer up a different view. There isn't anybody to say, well, you know, I don't think that we should do that because this or this, or, hey, what if we did this instead? There's never that outside perspective. And diversity, whether it's the color of your skin, the shape of your eyes, you know, the, the gender that you are, or the non-binary, or, you know, how, how old you are, whatever it is, that's the bedrock of innovation. So what happens is when you have a group of people who are alike, they actually can be very successful, which actually leads to why should we change anything? We're killing it over here, you know? Um, but long-term, those companies make less money and that's been proven. And it's also been proven that diverse teams outperform non-diverse teams on every metric that business success is um, measured. Customer service, customer loyalty, employee engagement, employee absenteeism. Diverse teams actually have their people come to work more often. Uh, profits, sales, retention, you name it. Every single metric that you can go, what, what would a successful business look like? Diverse teams outperform them. So if you have an all-white team, you know, I'm not here to say shame on you or anything. It's just one of those things going forward that you might want to think about as you have natural attrition or people retire or whatever is try bringing in some diverse talent, whether it's women, whether it's younger people, whether it's people of color. Um, it's really important. It will actually make your business grow. It's been proven. 
Yeah. So what's interesting to me about that, and I, I wish I could re, re, re summon the exact uh, example that I have, but I remember distinctly uh, uh, to this end, uh, there was an organization that was putting out some kind of a, a new product and um, they had a, a largely um, white workforce and uh, they, they, somebody said something like, maybe we should get some other perspectives here. So I forget where they found these different people, but they brought in different groups of, of minorities. And I, I, one of some of the, some of the black people that they brought in said, oh, we would never buy through that channel. That's not how we would do it. That's not, that's not how things are done for us. But what's your channel? And they told them, well, it's this. Oh, we would have never done that. Like I was like a money order or something like that. I can't remember what it was, right. but, but th that is a perfect example of, oh, well, we just, that's not how we do it. That's not how we're socialized to do it. I can give you another great example real quick because I live in Denver. So the ski industry here is absolutely huge. It's a oh, billion dollars. Your, your great story in the book, by the way, fantastic. Yeah. So uh, up until the 90s, uh, the ski industry, well, late 90s, the ski industry was mostly affluent boomers and white. And uh, what they found was that the number of skiers every year was declining. Mm -hmm. Year over year over year, fewer skiers. Okay, so that's fewer passes and you know all that. Um, and what they found was that the boomers were getting older. And maybe if you've had a knee replacement, it's not such a good idea to go skiing, or maybe if you have arthritis <laughs> and stuff. So it was a natural outcome of an aging customer group. Yet they had nobody else to replace that because uh, young skiers, when they talked to them, and they did do research, which was awesome, they found that. You know, they looked at skiing as like their parents' sport. Like, hey, right. why would I want to do that? What they wanted to do was snowboard. But at the time, snowboarding was not allowed on the ski slope. So if you wanted to snowboard, you actually had to trek into the backcountry and, and ski. Furthermore, they found out that day passes were very expensive for young people. The equipment itself was expensive, whether you buy it or rent it. The whole thing was a, a barrier to young skiers, you know, from the cost of it to the fact that it was like their icky parents, you know, <laughs> sport or whatever. <laughs> so what, the, and to the fact that you couldn't, they weren't allowed to snowboard on the same hills. And so what they did was change all of that. They worked with the equipment manufacturers and the renters and all that kind of stuff to bring down the cost. They came out with really exceptional value packages for skiing and they opened up the ski slopes to borders. Okay. Snowboarders. So the thing is, that perspective would never, ever have come to them. They would never have known why they're not getting new customers if they hadn't talked to them. They did focus groups with young people, and they were like, what's holding you back from skiing? And they were like, this, 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 this. Well, all of those things are fixable once you know about them, but you can't right. fix what you can't, what you don't know. Mm -hmm. It's a that gorgeous example, Kelly. Yeah, it's a gorgeous example. Perfect. Brings it right home. Okay, so now let's get into some of, of the reasons companies or leaders give for a lack of diversity. Uh, this this is just like blows me out of the, out of the water. And we, we're all going to recognize these things. One that you first say is uh, there are no women or people of color in this field. And yeah. they, just don't, they just don't come to this field. Right. Well, they don't come to the field because they may not even <laughs> know the field exists. And you certainly haven't put the welcome ad out. So in marketing, and I have a marketing background, what we always say is I can't choose Crest toothpaste if Crest is not on the shelf. Right. So if I go to the right. store and buy toothpaste and that's my toothpaste and there's nothing but Colgate, I can't buy Crest if it's not there. So the analogy here would be people are drawn to the things that interest them, but they're all, that, are, that they are also exposed to. So I'm not going to just wake up one day and go, you know what, I think I'm going to go work for this chemical engineering company. You know, unless I know somebody who works there or that's not even on my radar. So companies 
end up staying not diverse because they end up hiring from the same pools of people and doing things the same way at the same job fairs or whatever they're doing. And then that's why they go, well, we're trying to get more diverse people, but at our job fairs, we just don't get any. And it's like, because you've been doing the job fair in the same place, in the same way. You haven't actually done any outreach to anyone. And it's not true that there are no women or people of color that are not, it's not true that they're not there. They're there. They don't even know that you're there. So you've got to put the welcome mat out and say, hey, we're not very diverse and we'd like to change that. And we're looking for people to help us do that work. And we would like to talk to you. But you have to go, you have to go get that. That's outreach. They're not going to just, you know, pick you because they don't even know you exist. Mm-hmm. Right. Show but your door. Okay. Then, then this, this next one that you talk about, uh, we could go on and on with these different, different lists here, but this one we really have to talk about. This is, okay. this is so, so important. This other excuse or this reason, um, that companies might lack for diversity. Well, they might say something like that guy is a bit racist, but he brings in a lot of money for our firm. So we just ignore him. Yeah. yeah. That's a, that's a really ugly one because, um, you know, I think everybody probably knows somebody like that who is a high person, especially in sales or productivity or something. And so they tolerate the inexcusable, racist, sexist, offensive comments that that person makes because, by gosh, they make money. But what you're really doing is selling your soul. You know, if you do that as a company, what you're saying is really profit and money comes before humanity and doing the right thing and being the right people. And we're okay with that. And I think in today's world, as business goes, society goes. And it's up to us in business to not only be better and do better. And almost every company I've ever talked to says like, yeah, we want to do better and be better. Show us how. Mm-hmm. And by keeping a, a racist, sexist, offensive person with, with, without being checked. I mean, you can talk to that person and say, we have a zero tolerance policy here. Okay. So then they, then it's been addressed. But if you don't, and you're just kind of going, well, you know, I don't want to rock the boat with that guy. We, we wouldn't want him to leave. Cause he's such a, he's such a moneymaker. Your values are on display and not in a good way. Mm-hmm. And um, I think it's just, I think personally it's morally wrong, but I also think from a purely business standpoint, if you don't want to go there and you just go business, that will not, that will not work long-term. Because mm-hmm. people do want to see a business's soul and they have a lot of means to do so and in a lot of ways. And so when I say as business goes, society goes, well, think about like sustainability. You know, 10 years ago, nobody was really talking about sustainability. I just bought a pair of jeans the other day that had a tag on them that said, these jeans have been made from recycled plastic bottles. And I was like, huh. But it made me have a positive imprint of that company because I was like, wow, not only are these cute jeans, but like they're the good guys. <laughs> You, so as, 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 and business was the first to do that. So as business is putting sustainability in our minds, then we're putting sustainability in our minds and going, oh, okay, yeah, sure. And it's the same thing with diversity, equity, inclusion. As businesses put more prioritize, uh, more of a priority on this, then people are going, well, yeah, that's the right thing to do. So I would say take a really hard look at your values and your mission statement and ask who you are. And then say, does this person reflect the values that this company wants to be on display for? Is that really where we want to plant our flag? 
Yeah, and do we want to go ahead and attract more people like that to work with us? Yeah, and, and that's that because that's the other part of it is you're going to attract other people, or, or you're going to run people off that don't want to be around that, or you're going to attract more people that say, "Oh, these this is how they behave. That's me. I'll I'll take that." And another thing is, if there are people at that company who don't behave like that, the message that it sends to them is, "Wow, somebody can be like that here, and it's okay." Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's who we are here, and right. then you're going to lose the good people who can't stand that and want nothing to do with that. And you're going to be left with this group of pretty awful people, you know, and uh, you know, maybe if that doesn't bother you, um, Hey, have at it. But I think most companies would be just appalled if, if that's what their company was viewed as. Mm-hmm. And, and we can do better than that, which is going to be, get us into the next piece here. Okay. So here's, here's where I really want to help our listeners and our viewers. You know, we all, me too, all the time, will say unintentional offensive things, things I didn't understand how it was coming across to the other person. And so I want to talk about a couple of these that are pretty common here and about why they, they're problematic. So the first one you talk about when people say things like, especially if a, if a white person says this, I don't see color or I'm colorblind. Why is that so problematic, Kelly? It's problematic because our color is one of the most obvious things about us. Okay, so to say I don't see color, first of all, it's just not true. And secondly, what it really is doing is dismissing the other person's um, personhood. Okay, so like if I'm talking to you and let's say you're black and I say, well, you know, I don't see color. What I'm really trying to communicate is I'm not racist, but that's not what I said. I said, I don't see color. And so that person of color is going to feel like, well, you're not actually acknowledging all that I am and all that I bring to the table and the experiences that I've had and the perspective that I have because you refuse to see it or how can you fix some of the problems that we have internally here at this company if you don't even acknowledge that I'm different from you, right? Mm -hmm. It just just Mm -hmm. doesn't hold water in any way. And again, I think the intention is good, which is someone is trying to say, I don't see color, but I think what we have to say is, you know, I I see the differences and like, I want your perspective. And Mm -hmm. it's Mm -hmm. one of the most obvious things about us. There's nothing wrong with acknowledging the fact that someone's brown and I'm white and you're gay and you're, you know, older and you're whatever. I mean, it just, it doesn't, those are, that's who we are. And who we are is not anything to be ashamed of or tiptoed around. It's who we are. Yeah, I think the way that I want to distinguish this is, you know, you'd say that in the book, you say that when people say things like that, it can come across as hollow. Um, Because people, especially white people, just don't have those experiences like we've been talking about. So more interestingly, it would be to reach across and try to understand what is your perspective? You know, I know that you're different than me. You have a look at your I love like for me, like I'm very drawn to people who who show differently from me. I can get myself into all kinds of trouble because I I make a beeline for them. Right. Right. Leave me alone kind of thing. uh, I do. I mean, that's what happens. And and, uh, but anyway, so wouldn't it be more interesting and productive if we could say, you know, wow, what's your perspective on this matter versus I, I don't see color. Right. Yeah. Just, so it's, it just doesn't ring true. I mean, yeah. It, it's, it, it's almost like you're just denying the whole situation, like you said. Totally. So, well, then the other one really quick to talk about um, is <laughs> when people just say things like, I'm not racist or biased. And especially when white people say, I'm not a racist, it can come, it can come across as hollow. So when people just say that phrase, I'm not a racist. Well, and I agree, uh, because first of all, I think a lot of people, a lot of white people actually have no idea what racism is. Like, like they, they truly think they're not racist. They don't even know what it what it's like to be racist or what it's like to experience racism, I should say. OK, um, 
So in my experience too, and again, I'm just going to go there, Elise, is every time, every time I have ever heard that in my life, I'm not racist, comma, but. There's a but. Mm-hmm. What follows is totally racist. I was actually right. just at a, a speaking engagement the other, you know, a couple of weeks ago, and we got to the Q and A part, and there was a guy in the audience who raised his hand. And he had a question, and his, but he started his question with, "With I don't have a racist bone in my body, comma, you know." And I'm waiting for the drop, you know. I'm waiting for the oh, what's he going to say? And someone else called him on it. Someone else said. He said, I don't have a racist bone in my body. And the other guy said, yeah, you do. You know, it's like, because if you're really not racist, why would you preface that? Yeah. Preface what you're going to say with, I'm not racist. Right, right. So, um, and, and we don't even know, I think, sometimes what the offensive things that we're saying. One quick story, a friend of mine who's black and a woman was telling me that she started wearing her hair natural at work. Okay. So one of her white uh, counterparts or whatever said to, at her to work, said to her at work one day, Oh, you're wearing your hair natural now. And she said, yeah. And then there was this pause and the white woman said, so are you going to wear it like that to the client meeting on Friday? Now, does that person think that that's, that they're racist? I'm going to say not, but that was sure a racist comment because what Mm -hmm. you're implying is your hair, your hair is unacceptable. Excuse me. It's my hair. (laughs) You know, I mean, it's just, it, and I just think anything, anytime you have to say, I'm not racist, and then the next word is but, trust me, the, what's coming out of your mouth is very racist <laughs> or offensive. Yeah. So so all this for us just to presence, you know, for all of us to recognize, just start to recognize what we're saying and be 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 open to re- recognizing how it doesn't work, why it's offensive. That's yeah. the whole whole yeah. gist here. So yeah. let's, let's grab our last break here. Go so fast. Uh, I'm your host, Dr. Elise Cortez. We've been on the air with Kelly McDonald, the author of It's Time to Talk About Race at Work. We've been talking a bit about some of the problems that come with with, with racism and, and those things around it at work. After the break, we're going to talk more about her methodology to starting conversations about racism in the workplace. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Dr. Elise Cortez is a management consultant specializing in meaning and purpose. An inspirational speaker and author, she helps companies visioneer for greater purpose among stakeholders and develop purpose-inspired leadership and meaning-infused cultures that elevate fulfillment, performance, and commitment within the workforce. To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at EliseCortez.com. Let's talk about how to get your employees working on purpose. This is Working on Purpose with Dr. Elise Cortez. To reach our program today or open a conversation with Elise, send an email to Elise, A-L-I-S-E, at EliseCortez.com. Now, back to Working on Purpose. Thanks for staying with, with us and welcome back to the to the program. One other bit of news I want to share with you. Uh, last August of 21, I was able to get out my the anthology that I've been working on for the last couple of years. It's called Passionately Striving and Why. What I did was I went out and scout, scouted the globe to find 25 women from all over the place to share their really intimate story of how they discovered their purpose and are now serving from it. And, and the, the book is categorized by their path to purpose. So the idea is, is that through telling our stories, you get access to more of your purpose. So I hope you'll check it out as well. If you're just joining us today, my guest is Kelly McDonald. She's a professor, professional speaker and expert on diversity in business. She's the author of It's Time to Talk About Race at Work. I'm your host, Elise Cortez. So 
one of the things I really appreciate about your book is that it's just it has such an accessibility to it, Kelly, and it's conversational and it's it's inviting. So you toward the end of the book, you start talking about how to open a conversation about these really really uncomfortable matters for people. And so um, I'll read this first, and then I want you, if you want to speak more to it, but you know, just as a way to be able to open a conversation, you you offer a sample conversation, which might go something like this. It's in our best interest to make sure that everyone in this just department or team or company has equal opportunity to learn, grow, and advance professionally. We need to have regular ongoing conversations about race and inequity at work so that we can address the things we do that aren't working and come up with new solutions. That's inviting. Yeah. You can't uh, you can't demonize the people that you work with. You can't demonize the reader. You can't demonize the people who are actually like listening right now, watching and trying to do better and be better. It's it's a it's an uncomfortable conversation, and a lot of people, and I understand why, feel that you know in this day and age, like they're like you know I'm so afraid of saying the wrong thing or doing the wrong thing that I'm just going to say nothing. You know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's good for business at least. I think we have to be able to talk about you know, all the things that affect business. And you would talk about marketing, you would talk about technology, you would talk about, you know, employees, you would talk about everything, you would talk about sales, we have to talk about diversifying our teams. And then what's that like for the employees, they don't have a roadmap on how to do this. And that's what I'm trying to provide is like, these are the reasons why those things don't work. And here's other ways that do work, you can't give people a don't without giving them a do. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I like in what you're doing, Kelly, to, you know, before we, we didn't really learn how to, how to manage conflict at, at home or in school. So I know for years I've, I've worked with Crucial Conversations and so people learned how to manage conflict productively. You're now helping us manage conversations around race productively. And I think that's ex- extremely useful. Thank so you. you're welcome. And, and I like your, your starting methodology. You've got an acronym here that I think is really useful and accessible. So let's talk about that next. Okay. I'm going to buzz through this really quick because starting, if I'm not mistaken, has eight letters. And so each one of them. <laughs> so eight, eight Hit it, Kelly. Hit it. But it has to start with sincerity. I mean, you know, at the beginning of this conversation, Elise, I said something like, if you're the guy who's going, well, I guess we're doing diversity here at the office and my bonus depends on it. That's not a sincere effort. That's not right. anybody who's ever going to sincerely get behind it. So I really applaud your viewers and your listeners here today because they're tuning in to to hear us talk about this. And that tells me that they want to do better and be better. And I think most of us do. So it starts with that sincere effort. And sincerity doesn't mean you're going to do it right. It doesn't mean that you're going to do it perfectly. It just means that, by gosh, I'm going to try. Okay, I'm going to try. So that's the S. The T stands for transparency. And I think that especially leaders have the opportunity to say, look, I've never done this before. I've never talked about race at work. I think I'm going to be a little clunky. I hope you're going to bear with me because we need to talk about this. And that is transparent. And people trust transparency because Mm -hmm. when you speak that simply and that clearly, there's nothing to hide behind. Nobody's going to leave a meeting like that going, I wonder what he or she was trying to say. I wonder what they were trying, you know, what did they mean? So that transparency has to be there as well as what the purpose is, right? Like we're not very diverse. We need to work on changing that. And that's why we're having this meeting or this conversation. Uh, The A stands for acknowledgement. And again, I think this is where a lot of white people would rather just sweep, you know, all the uncomfortableness under the rug and go, let's go from here. But I think what we have to acknowledge is things haven't always been fair. Things haven't always been, um, you know, equal. Quick story, a friend of mine, uh, there's a very good high school in his city, a very good high school, extremely esteemed. And he said, 
every time we get an employee, an applicant for an employee who comes from that high school, we immediately say, that's our guy. And that may not be the most qualified person. Maybe the most qualified person didn't go to that high school. They went to a different high school in a different neighborhood and they're actually way more qualified. So how do we actually level that playing field, you know? And so that's what we're talking about here. And that acknowledgement of like, we can do better. And what does that look like? Then the yeah. R is respect. And respect is having the guts and being able to listen to people's experiences, respect them, not downplay them, not dismiss them, not refute them, and just truly respectfully say, will you help us do better? This is going to take all of us. It's not somebody else's job. It's our job. Uh, so that's the R. The other T is um, tools. We can't just go, let's be better at diversity. Yeah. <laughs> how? I mean, how? Like, so literally, this is a tool. That's why I wrote the book is like, people don't know how and they're terrified of saying the wrong thing. So we can't just say that we're going to be more diverse here. And by gosh, you're part of the solution. You got to actually tell people like, so here's what that looks like. And here's where we're going to start. And these are the conversations we're going to continue to have. And we're going to work through issues. We're going to solve problems. We're going to talk. So that is the tools. Um, and then the I is investment and investment can be time. It can be money, but this is where a lot of businesses, uh, that I've heard about, they kind of go, you know, diversity is just too expensive. I can't like, I, I just can't allocate the headspace to it or anything. And I'm thinking, would you really do that with any other part of your business? You have to invest in technology. You had to invest in software. You had to invest in marketing materials. You had to invest in a sales force. I mean, we invest in business. This is good for business. It's been proven. Invest in it. And then the N is nurturing. And I think it's really important. And I, I, I really spelled this out in the book because I said a lot of people think the word nurture is very gooey. Like, oh, my gosh, I've got to coddle these people. You know, like I've got to like... And it doesn't mean that. It means setting people up for success. And one quick example, a friend of mine is a black professor at the University of Utah. And she was telling me that earlier in her career, her boss, who's white, called her into her office one day and said, so-and-so is going to be retiring in six months. Do you want her job? And my friend said, yes. And she said, okay, we've got six months to get you ready. You're going to need to sit on some committees. You're going to need to meet some people. You're going to need to understand how this works. I'm going to help you. I'm going to get you on those committees, but you're the one who's going to do the work on that community and put in the hours, you know, and this to me, that's nurturing is she gave her an opportunity and set her up to succeed so that by the time she was a legitimate candidate, she was ready. She was right. qualified, you know? Right. So that's what nurturing to me is, is seeing those opportunities and saying, how can I actually help lift up somebody and make sure that they're set up to succeed? I'm not going to do the work for you, but I'm going to give you every opportunity to succeed. And I'm going to open some doors. And then the last thing G is goals. You know, it's like anything else. If, if I want to lose 15 pounds, like, okay, that's a, that's a goal that I put in the, a stake in the ground. Like, I'm going to know how I'm progressing on that. You know, did I, am I down 10 or 12? I got three to go. Uh, so like anything else, I love Levi Strauss and company because Chip Berg, the CEO wrote an open letter to the world and said, here are the, I'm making this up. Here are the 19 or 20 things that we're going to do next year. Mm. And they were, they were specific. And he was like, we're going to, uh, you know, hire, we're going to make sure that 40% of our pipeline candidates are diverse because you can only get diverse people to work for your company if they're in the pipeline. And right. so, you know, like, but putting numbers to it so that they could look back and go, did we do that? Did we meet that goal? 
okay, what do we have to refine so that we can meet it next year? Okay, like what are the tweaks? So people have to know what they're working toward and then they have to be able to celebrate those successes along the way because if you've set those goals, people are gonna meet them and they were part of the success. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's just all just gorgeous, Kelly. I love all that. And you do a beautiful job of sharing that in the book too, by the way. Okay, so we're getting close to the end here. So what I wanna do next is now, if you are listening or watching and you are a white male, I, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna give you a special invitation. Yep. <laughs> okay, so one of the things that Kelly says in her book, she says, if you're a white male in a leadership role, you can create change more than anyone and more than you realize. So tell us why, Kelly. The reason is, and this is again, me going there and just being blunt, Elise, white <laughs> men are perceived as neutral. So one of the things I hear often is, um, as a white person talking about diversity and people are like, wow, but you're white, you know, it's, it's, it's an opportunity not to be missed because if a black or a brown or gay or Muslim or any other diverse group or whatever starts to talk about diversity at work, what happens often, not always, but often is people say or think, well, of course she's going to say that she's a black woman, or of course they're going to say that that's a Hispanic person. Of course they look at it that way. Mm-hmm. So, and even as a white woman, as a woman, I get dismissed in the same way. I mean, mm-hmm. so when we're talking about this, if you're a white man and you want to make the needle move in your company on, on diversity, equity, and inclusion, you are perceived as neutral. So if you say, this is important, we're going to work on this. People go, oh, he doesn't seem to have an agenda. He doesn't seem to have a flag that he's carrying. You know, like it's not dismissed. It's absolutely a, a gift. I don't want to say that it's a gift to be a white male, but that, that neutrality is the gift. Mm-hmm. Use it. It's mm-hmm. use it for good. You have no idea how powerful you are. And there's an opportunity there that I think a lot of, especially white men feel like, wow, I guess we're, there's so much focus on diversity. I don't really have a place here. Oh yes, you do. You can lead us there and you can take a team there in a way that is, is more powerful than you realize because you will not be dismissed. If you are behind this, it gets real serious in a good way. Mm-hmm. I totally get that. This is so beautiful. Uh, all right. So we're coming very close to the end of the hour. I know okay. there's one more thing. So I guess what I need to do at this point is since we're coming to a close is let me let you close as you like. The show is listened to by people all over the world who are interested in creating a workplace where people actually want to come to work and do their best. We create inspirational leaders that lead them to their greatness and we do business that betters the world. What would you like to leave them with? What I want to leave you with is actually... Um, Two quotes, if I may. One is from a guy named Kwame Christian, and he wrote, the most, uh, the best things in life are on the other side of a difficult conversation. Mm. And I completely agree with that. And you can apply that to any other thing in your life, your relationship with your spouse. I mean, anytime you have a difficult conversation, you come out feeling better afterwards because you actually talked about it. The other one I want to uh, leave your viewers and listeners with is one from Maya Angelou that I, I can almost not get through this without getting emotional. But she said, um, do the best you can until you know better. And then when you know better, do better. And that's all we're trying to do is I think all of us are just trying to know better and do better and be better. And it starts with us. This is not somebody else's problem. This is all of our problem. Okay, Kelly. So now we're both crying. That's great. Um, what a great way to finish the show. But but Kelly, what that speaks to is your passion for this. This is this is for this is your real core work. Well, this is not this is not just speak in the world. This is your no, core work. 
No, this is my purpose. And that's why I'm very honored to be a guest on your show of working on purpose because it's my, I started off doing it because it was so cool from business to see the business opportunity. And I ended up realizing that this is my calling. Mm -hmm. And how beautiful that is. See the difference that we get to make in the world when we work from purpose. Yep. Let's invite anybody listening to the show. Please find your purpose, serve from it. It's amazing. Kelly, I am thrilled to know you, to have you in my life, to have crossed paths with you. One word of warning. Um, I've been known to show up on the doorsteps of people I've had in my show. So just so you know, okay, yeah, it could <laughs> I that. make sure I'm home. <laughs> yeah, it could happen. So, so just delighted to have read your, your book cover to cover, let it, let its contents infuse into me, um, and share them now with listeners and viewers. And I hope we get some really good, interesting engagement about this conversation. So thank, thank you for you being on the show. Audience. Yes. Thank you audience. Absolutely. Listeners, viewers, if you want to learn more about Kelly McDonald, her work or her books, start by visiting her website. It's mcdonaldmarketing.com. Let me spell that for you. So it's M-C-D-O-N-A-L-D marketing.com. Uh, last week, if you missed the live show, you, you can always catch a recorded podcast. We were on the air with Fixed, How to Perfect the Fine Art of Problem Solving. It was a delightful conversation about how she teaches people from all industries to become better communicators and problem solvers by learning to observe and describe art. It was fascinating. It was a perfect and delicious collision, if you will. Next week, we'll be on the air with Joe Camerato. He's the CEO and founder of National Business Capital, and we'll be talking about a more democratized environment appearing in workplaces around the country and how leaders can take the reins on purposeful work and employee wellness. See you there. Remember that work is at least a third of our life, so let's work on purpose. We hope you've enjoyed this week's program. Be sure to tune in to Working on Purpose, featuring your host, Dr. Elise Cortez, each week on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Together, we'll create a world where business operates conscientiously, Leadership inspires impassioned performance, and employees are fulfilled in work that provides the meaning and purpose they crave. See you there. Let's work on purpose.